What is up, everybody? Welcome to Wayward Artists in a Wayward World. I'm Sid, and joining me today is my mentor, or one of my mentors, uh, Josephine Keefe. Josephine, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Sid. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. Well, thank you for coming. Like, you mean so much to me, and I... Oh. Like uh, you are my mentor, like after college and everything. So oh. uh, I like appreciate having you on. Thank you. No, I'm I'm really excited to be on. And, uh, you know, I think what you bring to our community is incredibly inspiring. And I've been inspired by your work since uh, since we first met at Nita Burrito. So uh, since then, I feel like I've just kind of been following your process. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm always excited for what you for what you're producing. Yeah, well, it's a good thing you talked about like how we met each other, but uh, uh, that's a good segue into uh, who you are and what you do and how do how do we know each other? Like, what have we been doing yeah. together? Well, we are in the theater community together here. Um, I uh, am an actor, director, producer. I mean, I think that once you get into you know the arts, you find yourself wearing a lot of different hats. But I. I grew up acting. I wanted to be an actor. I went to school at uh, DePaul University's theater school um, uh, right out of high school. I graduated in 2007 uh, with an acting degree and moved to Los Angeles, did some acting. I realized the hustle was real. This was during the Great Recession in 2008. And um, that made me realize that uh, I in order to stay in Los Angeles and do what I was trying to do, I needed to find other reasons to also stay in Los Angeles. And um, so I went back to school and went to UCLA, got my master's. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, um, I've, I have two babies and I uh, moved up to back up to Spokane uh, to raise my babies in the beautiful Pacific Inland Northwest and have been here since uh, 2012, and I teach at GU. I teach uh, uh, within the theater uh, theater and dance department. I'm directing a show there this March, Antigone. Uh, we're not entirely sure what that's going to look like in a pandemic world. I am operating on the idea that I will be directing a socially distanced performance. How that will shape out is yet to be yet to be determined. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and I, we met at Nito Burrito. Uh, you were fundraising, uh, or no, you were you were selling tickets uh, for your show that you were directing at GU, um, uh, Dogs He's God, and uh, it was during the um, Poetry Slam there on a Wednesday night, right? Are those on Wednesdays? They were on Wednesdays? Yeah, yeah they're always on Wednesdays. Right, yes. yeah. So uh, one of your actors uh, did a monologue from the show. I was just incredibly excited to to see uh, to see art outside of our uh, standard stages. I was excited to see a director like yourself who was... Um, expanding theater arts outside of uh, our normal venues. And uh, you and I connected, you and I connected over those uh, shared interests and we've been, we've been buds ever since. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things from that. Like, I think our biggest connection though, I think, cause at the time uh, you said you were from DePaul mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my goodness, this is like, you were like one of those people that just like 
all of a sudden like show up in my life and <laughs> when i need when i needed them like or like you know just to offer like this wisdom like i like honestly i didn't even think that we would like see each other again after that yeah. it was just gonna be one of those things where i'm gonna drop something like some cool stuff on you and uh you're either gonna see me again forever or probably not mm -hmm. and uh it happened when i was in chicago going to depaul i uh was in a lift car with uh, my, my driver there. Uh, he was a black, he's a black man. Mm -hmm. And we, we did one of the ride sharing, like I, I, in the metropolitan areas that you could ride with other people right. in your lift car. And so lady in the back, she's a Muslim and it was Eid. So I was like, hey, happy Eid, uh, sister. Uh -huh. <laughs> and she was like, uh, like, thank you and everything. And then I told my guy, I think, I was eventually had a conversation with this woman and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm no longer Muslim anymore. And when she left the driver, him and I talked about religion because he was a, a black man mm -hmm. and he felt like Christianity betrayed him mm -hmm. because of a, a lot of the racist, like a, a lot of the racism he faced under the guise of religion. Mm -hmm. And he was looking towards Islam as a, as a way to, uh, like you fill in that hole yeah. and <laughs> a little bit felt bad. Cause I like, uh, said that I left the religion, but mm. we had like the, the like like a deep conversation about religion, and you know it was so cool and inspiring. And like I don't even know the guy's name anymore, mm. and he's gone. Like he's not in my life. I don't know if he'll ever be in my life again. Mm. Maybe he'll listen to this and he'll be like, "Oh yeah, that was me." Right. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, you were like one of those people when you said DePaul that year. I went to DePaul to like see about applying for my master's over mm -hmm. there. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like the world is crazy. Yeah. Well, I think that that's, it's funny how those things kind of meet up and, um, you know, this serendip serendipitous uh, occurring of events, but they're all meant, I do believe very strongly that some things are meant to happen that way. And whether that means that like someone was specifically meant, you know, to, um, you know, go in a certain direction or just be inspired to start thinking about other directions. You know, I, I for my students, I'm always pressing upon my students. You know, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to leave Spokane, go to Chicago. Go to Chicago. I, I'm pretty. I'm a very strong supporter of uh, the kind of artistic experience that artists will get from living in Chicago, as um, mm -hmm. opposed to New York or Los Angeles, which both of them also, of course, have their merits and wonderful opportunities to them. Um, but I was always, I've always just really pressed upon my students to consider Chicago. Uh, it's uh, it, it's the largest city with the most number of um, um, non-union theaters. It's a wonderful opportunity as a non-union actor to, uh, to um, branch out and uh, tap into a larger city's theater community through the non-union work and then move up through those to uh, some of the bigger uh, uh, theaters uh, in that area, the Goodman, uh, you know, Steppenwolf, Chicago Shakes, uh, Timeline. Um, but, uh, you know, but then sometimes I have a number of students who started thinking about Chicago and started being inspired by those stories and then realizing that through their process of looking into Chicago, they realized, wow, you know what? I actually, uh, I actually realized that I feel 
really strongly connected to what's happening in Atlanta right now, or, uh, you know, I'm, I feel, you know, more strongly connected to moving to Boston. You know, I'm, I think it's always, it's just always wonderful to see outside of your own community and to challenge yourself, take those healthy risks to, uh, um, you know, to experience, I think life art, it's all about experience. So wherever we can get those experiences, um, there's there's positivity to that. There's process to that. There's there's uh, exploration to that. No matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Chicago is a really nice city. I mean, my time there, like my heart's still over there. Yeah. <laughs> like I I got to tour their new uh, facility, uh, the the theater school, and it was a beautiful facility. Um, it's definitely in my like right now. If you told me like last month like what my number one school to apply for was was going to be DePaul but now it's like number two because I was looking into Cal Arts and mm-hmm. their huge emphasis on uh, experimentational yeah. theater and their diversity of like other arts program that I can collaborate with I think like there's a really cool opportunity to do some cool work over there so um, I'm gonna apply there first but DePaul's That's- there where I, <laughs> uh, I'm applying to more than one school guys. yeah well and as you should <laughs> and you know, mm-hmm. I think that that's amazing. Uh, Cal Arts is a fantastic school, very avant-garde, very experimental. And uh, um, Chelsea, actually, uh, she's a, an MFA artist in the Spokane community. She graduated. She graduated from um, Cal Arts, and she might have some interesting insight to to give to you on that. Yeah, she she loved her experience there. Um, Mm-hmm. And uh, walked away from it with a very uh, strong experimental um, background. Exactly. Um, I'll definitely look into that. Um, one thing that was kind of weird about their school is that they don't offer tours, uh, which I was like kind of shocked about. But, you know, uh, it's their rules, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing that you mentioned was uh, you, you teach at GU, mm-hmm. but I called you my mentor. But um, we, I missed, I missed that train, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah, no, we kind of, we were uh, two trains passing in the night. You were just leaving GU as I was coming into GU. Mm-hmm. How have you liked it so far? Like, I know, like the other faculty probably listened to this episode, <laughs> considering that. But um, I, I'm sure you'll be honest. About yes, it. I love working at GU. I love the faculty at GU. It's a very, very strong. A community of faculty there and tremendous support. The students uh, have been wonderful. And it's not, and this isn't against GU, this is actually more of a commentary on how difficult it is to be an incoming adjunct faculty member to any institution. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this this happened at, you know, the last college I taught at and a little taste of it at GU is that you'll get a little bit of, uh, you'll get some some students that want to challenge you, not, not because they want to challenge the subject matter of what you're teaching. They want to challenge you as a teacher because you're, you're new and you have a new form to teach them or you are just a new presence to them and they're very used to their, the presence of the teachers that they've had for the last three years. And they want, you know, they're just, their curiosity can sometimes be about more, more about pushing back at you than actually accepting what you're trying to teach. So the first year is always a little rocky. And 
And then the second year is always my favorite. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to this year. I've gotten to know more of the students and this will be my first time directing a show at the Magnuson. I'm excited about the show that it is. It's Antigone. Uh, it, you know, uh, it's, you know, one of the oldest uh, theatrical texts on civil disobedience. And I think that in mm. this current day and age, what, I mean, what, what else would be a more perfect play or story to tell than a story of civil disobedience from our wonderful mm -hmm. protagonist, uh, Antigone. So I'm excited about yeah. it. And, and I, and I, of course, yeah, I love the community. Um, and I'm just having a great time. I'll be teaching acting for the camera in the spring. And um, yeah, I think just hopefully more and more, I'll uh, solidify my, my time at GU and uh, become more of, of a fixture to, to the community and to the students. Yeah. Um, uh, here's where the gap in my like uh, classical theater comes in. I always thought it was pronounced Antigon. Because <laughs> <laughs> it looks like, oh yeah, this is Antigon. <laughs> it looks like it, but you said Antigone and I was kind of like disappointed in myself. Oh, uh, I have, I've, I've heard that many, many times before and I swear <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's the nature of Greek names. <laughs> and Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've been bumbling through the Greek names for a while. Luckily, now oh, yeah. we have Google, so I can say just like Google, how do you pronounce Antigon? And she's like Antigone. Like, oh, okay, thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm glad you're having a good time. I mean, uh, my time at Gonzaga was really great. I love all my professors. We like, and not, and that's that's not to saying it because you know they're probably listening to it anyway. We talk about them a lot on the mm -hmm. show and how much they meant to me, specifically Kathleen and Leslie. Mm -hmm. um, I think I mentioned like, uh, they are like my two moms. Uh, they're them and uh, Chris Morehouse, mm -hmm. who's not part of the theater department. She's part of the journalism department when I was supposed to be a journalism major. Well, she's more communications. I think at the time she still had like insight though in journalism. Uh, so she was still kind of around there. And I loved her so much. I didn't want to like lose her as my advisor. <laughs> so I like, you know, I, I'm just going to like keep you as my advisor, even though you don't know much about theater. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Well, you know, it's really important that when you find that professor that speaks to you um, on a, on a very different level than uh than other teachers. I mean, that that lives with you forever. I feel like you carry that for a very, very long time. There are teachers that, and mentors throughout my, uh, you know, collegiate years, both at DePaul and um, UCLA, of individuals that uh, have had a tremendous impact on my, um, my view in art, my life choices in regards to art and my profession, the type of theater artist that I wanted to be, the type of theater art I wanted to create, uh, was absolutely influenced by a number of, of those teachers that really just, I mean, you never forget them and you keep in contact with them for years to come. Yeah, that, that's why I'm glad to have you because like, um, you know, sometimes I feel like, you know, I love Kathleen and Leslie and I'm sure... And Charlie, too, if he would ever answer his emails. Um, not to throw shade at him. <laughs> but, um, like, I always feel like their resources should be stayed with, like, the students, mm -hmm. you know? Like, their students. Like, I'm not their student anymore. So I'm glad to have, like, people like you uh, that I can just come mm -hmm. to. 
you know, um, and talk about things, even though technically you are a faculty member at my alma mater, (laughs) which I guess, yeah. So uh, like I said, I'm glad to have like people like you and Juan Moss too. Like he's been, he's a really good guy. I don't think I really got like, like mentor mentoring from him yet, like life lesson type deal or even help with like college. But like my presence around Juan has always been great. Mm -hmm. And I always, I definitely admire everything that he's done for not just Spokane, but like the Washington. Yeah, uh, he's uh, Juan. Juan and I met uh, when I first moved up to Spokane, and you know, you and I have talked a bit about you know diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Spokane theater arts community. This was something that Juan and I were talking about in 2012 or 2013, and mm-hmm. um, uh, the lack of it in the Spokane community, or maybe not the lack of it so much as what felt like a very blatant disregard for it um, Mm -hmm. and a disinterest in trying to tackle it. Um, We both expressed hearing very much the same excuses and we reminisced on our own, again, you know, our own college experiences, uh, you know, um, uh, Juan, I believe, went to you know UC Irvine, I think, and uh, and just the very different theater arts uh, experiences that we had from what we were sharing collectively in the spoken community. What and we discussed what it is that what do we want to bring to the spoken community? How do we want to contribute to the theater arts here? And we both agreed that we wanted to start sharing work that would otherwise not be produced here simply because, you know, it's written from a voice or lens different from, you know, the majority population here, or, uh, you know, isn't uh, something that would ever be considered for a main stage or black box theater season. You know, we just, we started to try and challenge what those, what those stories might be or those playwrights and make a list of them and, and, uh, we decided we, you know, together years ago that we were going to do that. And it took years to do it, but we were able to produce references to Salvador Dali, Make Me Hot by uh, Jose Rivera at uh, Spokane Stage Left. Um, when we pitched it to them, uh, at the time it was Wes Dietrich, who was uh, the um, artistic director of the theater. We pitched it to them, let them know that it was an important story to tell and one in which would fit with the mission of Stage Left. And uh, luckily, you know, hearing from Wes's side, he was extremely supportive of the project. And uh, and that was the first time I think uh, that was the first time Juan and I were really able to take our our shared vision uh, that we'd had during the first meeting that him and I met years ago and bring it to fruition. So we've been friends for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Stack uh, Spokane Theater Arts Council uh, has been doing some really good stuff so far. Um, since it was, since its inception, I believe was it this year, or was it last year? No, yeah, last year. Last year was Salvador Dali. Mm-hmm. So stack uh, stack since uh, inception since last year, and it's really impressive to see like uh, what it's done so far. And I'm excited to see what it does in the future. Yeah, we're we're excited as well. You know, I think that we're going to we're seeing an opportunity uh, within uh, this time, and it, of course, you know, it's. 
we're all out of work right now as artists. We're all starving for work as artists. We're all grieving the loss of our, you know, um, our theater houses to go to. There's there is a lot of hurt within the theater community uh, during this time, but it's not just the Spokane community that's going through this. It's the whole world, you know, and and uh, there has to be I, some. I, we have to acknowledge that we're not alone in this. We're all dealing with this together. Um, but it's also an opportunity for us to consider the changes that we have never given ourselves time to consider. Um, I think that's why, you know, the We See You White American Theater came out with their list of uh, demands on um, white American theater and how to address the systemic uh, racism and patriarchal culture that has been ingrained in the theater arts community um, for so long and to address those in a way that says, you know what, we will come back to opening up these theater houses. We will come back to sharing stories. But first, let's take this time, let's take this moment of pause, this intermission to address to address what we've been, to address that ele elephant in the room, to address what we haven't been able to conquer for so long. And um, mm. I hope that Stack can be a part of that conversation in the community. Uh, Juan and uh, Rio and a number of our, our Stack committee uh, members, you know, we've all collectively had that shared mission. And I think that this is an opportunity to try and address that uh, within our community. So mm -hmm. more to come. We'll see what happens. Uh, we're going to take a quick little hiatus over Christmas uh, just because it's going to be a pretty collective downtime for us all. And uh, we have some plans to launch uh and the first of the new year. So we'll have more to share pretty soon. Oh, sweet. And uh, I'm sure people who are listening to this will probably hear something because uh, I think this episode is going to come out around February. So we'll know by then. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see. There was like one other thing. That, oh, yeah. You said like just to go off the cuff here, 2012, you mentioned that. And I was like, dang, that is crazy uh i wasn't even thinking about theater like i didn't even know it like at the time what exactly theater was i was still in high oh, school wow. <laughs> when you talked about when you had those conversations and i was in saudi arabia still so it was like i don't know it's it's so weird to see um where i came yeah. from back when i was in high school and where i am now and it's almost been eight years since i've left the country it's amazing but i mean think mm -hmm. about I mean, just your experiences, your life experiences, your worldview, how does that shape you as an artist? How does that shape the stories that you want to tell as an artist? And, you know, yeah. I think that I think that your stories are valid. And I think that your perspective is in, in, crucial, imperative to uh, its contribution to our theater arts community, to any arts community that you end up going to. Your stories mm -hmm. matter and your influence and your direction uh, matters. And uh, the more we're able to elevate the experiences um, of, uh, of, of, of Black, Indigenous and other artists of color in our community, uh, I think, you know, just the more we're able to actually start calling ourselves a community theater. Community theater has to encompass everyone in the community. If we're only representing one piece of the pie within that community, that isn't, that isn't enough to, to call ourselves a community theater or community uh, theater community. Um, you know what I mean? And, and it's, so mm -hmm. 
your contribution is, is it's just been amazing to see. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, but it's just, yeah. yeah, isn't that incredible? Just from 2012 to 2020, where your life has gone. Imagine where it's going to go in the next few years. Oh, yeah. I, I'm kind of excited and scared for the future because um, for those who don't know, uh, we're recording this on election day, like a couple hours before yes. we know like <laughs> what's going to happen to our world is it for the better or worse and you know we're, we're like we'll just see what happens maybe uh maybe we'll be a well we'll see how it happens in the future i hope it's good it has to be good you know it will be good because we we must manifest it to be so mm -hmm. whatever the outcome yeah. uh and i'm gonna think positively today i I'm going to try and do a lot of self-care today. I can, I'm an empath. So if I feel stress in my environment, I will, I will be a sponge and I will take that stress in. And then all of a sudden I have, you know, my stomach is cramping and my neck is tightening up and I'm catching a cold. I mean, that's just how my body responds to taking in stress. And Mm -hmm. I am really actively choosing to not do that today. It's, I think that self-care is very important, but no matter what, because 2016 knocked me on my ass. I, mm -hmm. I thought that after, I thought that after the um, Pussygate tapes were released, that there wasn't a shot in hell that um, Trump would be elected I thought there's no way any woman in her right mind could vote for this person. And it turned out that white women <laughs> proved me wrong. I, <laughs> I have, you know, and I have friends that voted for him, friends that voted for him that have daughters. And I was perplexed. I was dumbfounded. I was shocked. I was in shell shock the next day, November 4th, you know, eating a giant Belgian waffle at Frank's diner with <laughs> tons of whipped cream and syrup and just like, <laughs> oh my God, what is happening to the world? I'm going to try not to do that this year if it goes badly and just believe and trust and uh, manifest it mm -hmm. to be so that that we will find a way that good will find a way and mm -hmm. this is this is a marathon race not a sprint uh whatever the election outcomes are tonight that will not solve even a fraction of our country's problems we have mm -hmm. work to do um, so I think that, you know, let's take today in stride and then let's let's come to the table tomorrow with some actionable items on, OK, how how can we change? How can we change the future for the better? How can we start, you know, taking part in some real actionable change within our community for the better? Oh, and we we don't need. We don't need whichever president it is to to lead that. We can we can do it with it with ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, um, that's exactly how I feel. Ex uh, exactly what you're saying. Um, like, despite whoever wins, like, there's still work that needs to be done, and it's like 
we had Ginger on the show, Ginger mm-hmm. Ewing from Terrain, and she like ended the podcast off by saying like, you know, um, regardless of who wins, like there's still more work that needs to be done, and we need to hold Biden accountable, yeah. just like we would as Do- Donald yes. Trump. Um, we can't give him a pass. No, no, we can't. We can't give him a pass, and we have to hold him accountable to all of the promises that he. Uh, that he's made over the course of this campaign. Uh, you know, it's really funny that uh, that he's been, that the right tries to label him as this communist or something. I mean, it's, he's the, uh, he was probably one of the more like least progressive candidates that we had to choose from um, mm. uh, within uh, the primaries. But uh, I think he has, you know, as much as he was able to, he has tried to adopt some progressive measures uh, for the progressive base. And as progressive voters, we should be holding him accountable to those things. And um, and then pressing for the next four years, should he be elected, for him to go farther, you know, go farther mm-hmm. than... Um, you know, just saying that you, you know, that you support renewable energy, but you can't get behind the Green New Deal, you know, go for farther than uh, saying that you can uh, help make education more affordable, but uh, uh, you can't forgive student loans, like, you know, just, you can do more. And we have to continue mm-hmm. to hold them to that. Exactly. So um, regardless of what happens, I'm just well, I think like it's kind of like what you said. Uh, the best thing we could do right now is take care of yeah. ourselves, and this is what this show is yes. all about. Because this, yeah, this is wayward artists in a wayward world. Where each and every day, I each and every Sunday, sorry, not each and every day, I talk with a wayward artist, and we t- talk about a person they're thankful mm-hmm. for. It's based on Jared Petty's podcast, Bucket Full mm-hmm. of Soup, which essentially I stole the whole format from him. But I know Mike Drucker. Um, that's. Uh, uh, Jared Petty's mm-hmm. friend, he was on the show and he said, you know, Jared probably will be okay with it. <laughs> so, um, you know, I'll take his word for it. Um, well, we love Jared. He's really great. Um, so Josephine, I'm going to ask you the question that I ask each and every person on the show. Um, tell me someone you're thankful for. Okay. Well, uh, today I am thankful for my mother and I, I'm thankful for my mother for many, many reasons. Um, her name is Joanne Kaufman. She is a member of the Nez Perce tribe. I'm a member of the Nez Perce tribe, um, but I, I don't look Nez Perce. I, I very much take after my uh, Irish father. Uh, I have some features, uh, my high cheekbones and other things that people say, like, oh, that's your mom's feature. Uh, my mom is brown skinned, dark black hair, uh, just this beautiful indigenous woman who for my entire life has been this uh, warrior. She's stoic and she doesn't give a lot away. Uh, she has the best poker, poker face in the world. Uh, you wouldn't be able to read what she's thinking, but she's thinking a lot. She is the ultimate feminist. She's, you know, protest, protested and been arrested before for protesting. 
some of my earliest marches when I lived in Washington, D.C., my mom took me to. Uh, I think it was it was a march for Leonard Peltier, who's been held in life in prison for the uh, deaths of FBI agents. Uh, but that is an that's a uh, it's a case that has been uh, for decades uh, uh, challenged uh, based off of its evidence, and there are many, including myself and my mom, that believe he was very wrongfully um, charged in those deaths, and um, so there are marches that are held to to try and free him. And uh, that was one of the earliest protest marches that I went to as a kid was with my mom. Um, she was able to start a business on uh, advocating for Native American health care, uh, which she has successfully run for 30 years. She is a, a woman who grew up and survived childhood abuse and neglect uh, with, with such vigor and such focus. I mean, this is someone who never knew, didn't always know where her next meal was going to come from or when her parents would come back from being gone for days and leaving her and her siblings uh, alone in their house. She found a way to drink a cup of coffee at age eight, pack her backpack and walk to school every day to go and get her education. And uh, she has a master's degree in public health from Berkeley. She's just always been a survivor. And uh, I, we just found out, well, she, her and I also went through COVID together. We both ended up contracting COVID over the, over the summer and we survived that. Uh, we were both very thankful to survive that. And it was after, uh, after, after she recovered from COVID, she went and had a screening and found out that she has uh, two forms of cancer, breast cancer and colon cancer. Um, and uh, she's, she's about halfway through her first uh, 12 week chemo treatment. She's lost all her hair and she's had to uh, step back as, you know, president of her company to, uh, to take this time to take care of herself and uh, survive. Um, she is, absolutely amazing. I'm constantly in awe of her because she never gives any indication that she's suffering. She doesn't want, she will not be, you would never see her posting about, you know, um, how she's feeling, uh, or really sharing anything of, of how, what she's going through. Uh, she keeps a lot of these things private. You know, her and I have talked about myself sharing her story and she said that was, that was fine. I mean, she's happy to have other people kind of talk about her, but she doesn't talk about herself. Um, 
but the last few, the last couple months since, since the start of this diagnosis, uh, I've seen the warrior mom that I've always known her to be, um, living, fighting for tomorrow, but living for today. She is, she wants to live, you know, she wants to live so badly and she, and she will fight for that next day. Uh, but she wakes up every morning living for the moment. Um, when you are, I've asked her too, I asked her like, what is that? What is the feeling that you get when you're given a diagnosis like this, when you're told that, you know, you have you know, stage three breast cancer and, and colon cancer, like what, what goes through your mind? How do you process that? And she said it was, you know, different forms of, you know, it's different stages of grief. You have moments where you're angry, moments when you're sad. Um, but she, she said, I, it, I can't hold on to those things. I can't hold on to being angry and sad for the next year that I'm fighting, fighting for my life on chemo. I need to stay positive. I need to be surrounded by positivity. I need to be, I need to be exercising positivity. I need to absolutely practice that in every way. And I thought, wow, okay. How can I then do that as well? How, how can we all take more time to practice positivity? And it shouldn't have to take cancer diagnoses to, to have us do that. It shouldn't have to take cancer diagnoses for, for us to live more truthfully um, and in the moment in our lives to, to find gratitude and I started to try and practice that myself just because I've been so inspired by her in, the, in, in what can only be a very scary and uncertain time in all of our lives around the world. But for her to now be so vulnerable and struggling with her health, uh, the chemo is 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 something it's it's like poison that goes through your body and and so you see how even the chemo is impacting her but she she's so positive she woke up this morning and she did five sun salutations we've we started a 30 day yoga challenge with each other where we're just going to get up mm. and we're going to you know express something that we're grateful for and then we do five sun salutations and that's how we start our day. Uh, we've, we're starting to all think more positively and, and practice more gratitude, practice more self-care. Uh, and it, it's, really, it's really come from my mom. She's, she's that fire, that energy, it has spread to, to my brother, my sister, myself, my kids. We're all now practicing these things, not only for herself, for her and for our collective family, but for ourselves as individuals. And um, mm. 
I'm, yeah, I'm just incredibly grateful and inspired by her every day. Mm. Wow. I like, I didn't, first of all, I had no idea that your mother was going through that. Um, and I think I must've missed like the post or something, but um, I'm glad, like, I'm glad to hear that she's fighting this, you know, um, yeah. especially with everything that's going on in the world right now. I'm, I think like from all that, I'm very curious to know, like, how are you feeling right now? I mean, besides like your mom, having this like diagnosis and everything but you getting covid and you know the state of the world and your kids yeah. <laughs> little, little your babies you know like they you know you love them but like they during this time in homeschooling and everything they probably like drive you crazy yeah. like how are you feeling I'm, right now? i'm feeling okay i covid was the sickest i've ever been in my life and I'm healthy. I'm a healthy 36 year old. I do hot yoga or I used to before the pandemic hit. I'm, you know, I've run half marathons before. Like I'm a, I'm a healthy person and COVID ravaged the body. Um, I'm still, I still feel like, I still feel like I'm recovering from it. You know, it's, it's November 3rd today. I got COVID uh, the 5th of July and uh, I feel like my, I feel like I've aged about 10 years. Um, 10% of my hair fell out. Uh, My, uh, I lost about 20 pounds um, I have this mental fog. They talk about this COVID mental fog that, uh, goes away in about six months. I still have it. It, it feels, uh, it, 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 it feels like an impairment. It feels like, mm. um, I, it's very, very hard to explain. I, I sometimes get incredibly frustrated with my with my head because it will go into a fog and it's almost like feeling trapped in your brain. Um, mm. And you can't focus and you can't even articulate what we are trying to what you're thinking because your brain, it's like just it just like it locks, it just closes down and you can't access it. Um and uh, so there, there's things I'm still struggling with. Um, it's been hard, you know, it's, you know, you go through COVID and then you get out of it and you're struggling with your own symptoms. Then you find out that your mom has two cancers and, um, and, you know, there's also the fear that our, you know, we have antibodies. Now I have antibodies uh, that are protecting me. Uh, my mom has antibodies, but those antibodies only stay stay in the body for a few months that they're saying that they're you know that it's about uh you know six to eight months on average it sounds like that that you were getting uh people are more and more people are finding that after about six to eight months their antibodies wear off and um and then you become susceptible all over again to covid despite what the president says no one is forever immune to this and uh and that's scary because you realize what you went through the first time and you think, oh my God, 
I don't think I could actually, I don't, I don't know if I could go through it a second time. I, I don't know if my body could go through this a second time. My mom's body could certainly not go through it a second time. So she's in incredibly vulnerable. So we're just all very, we're stressed, but we're all trying to, we're all trying to protect ourselves, protect each other and, uh, and be there for each other as much as we can. It's a dark time for us all. Um, it's interesting to hear the different, the various stories of families or individuals and how they're coping with, with the world and with everything going on, you know, our, the, our own mental health struggles. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're all, yeah, we're, we're all, we're all in the fight of our lives. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it's good also to hear that you guys are um, taking a positive approach mm -hmm. to all this. Um, it's not easy to do. Like when, especially for me, I feel like, you know, I'll have those moments of like, oh yeah, I, the, the day is going to be a, yeah. a good day. You know, I, I, I don't work today. I'll just play video games. I bought the new video game consoles and I plan to buy a new TV. So there's all this cool stuff happening and, you know, um, doing the podcast is always fun, but you know, for the most part, it's just been like just major depressive episodes more than I've had ever since I was a kid. I remember being 16 and being at my lowest and I don't remember why, but I remember, that being a very low moment, the moment where I was like, you know, I don't want anyone to ever feel like the way I do, yeah. you know, um, I, yeah, and, and even back then I didn't have like mental health resources yeah. uh, being in Saudi Arabia and everything. And, you know, some of the stuff that I talk about <laughs> or want to talk about is pretty controversial. So I want to not mention any of those things mm -hmm. to somebody, but um, like nowadays it's just, it's so hard. Like, I'm thankful that I haven't gotten sick. I feel like there have been moments where I was, like, yeah. off. But it was more, is this my depression acting up again? Or is this uh, yeah. COVID? You know, especially uh, me working at uh, a healthcare uh, health clinic, uh, the eye center for multi-care. And uh, we've had a few, we've had a few, like, exposures, like, from patients. But, like, it uh, we've for the most part been fine. No one's actually yeah. gotten it. And I, like, I've been grateful for that, but I've also just been in my house and haven't really seen anybody <laughs> for a long time. I think like just towards the end of the year, just uh, like about a month ago or so is when I started, you know, braving it out. And I guess like determining which kind of people I'll see, you know, if they're also kind of a high risk, um, you know, we're both working at retail or with customers or patients or whatever. I'm like, you know what? We both probably, yeah. <laughs> let's just, ha let's just hang out. Like, it'll be okay. But like, you know, there's some people with, uh, you know, immune diseases and stuff like that, where I'm just like, no, I don't think it's for the best if we meet up. Um, but for the most part, I've been super yeah. depressed. <laughs> like it's, it's been so hard to remain positive. And I feel like last year I was really good at that. Um, but it's just been kind of hit after hit, especially the dogs dying was like yeah. traumatic that I'm still not over yet. Yeah, no, I think that it's, uh, it were the mental health factor to this entire experience, uh, is so real for us all. And, um, 
you know, I've never, when I was growing up, I, I had, I didn't, when I was growing up, I didn't suffer from depression. I suffered from these really, really intense panic attacks that would hit me in the middle of the night or in a dark room, you know, in a movie theater. Um, I would get, I, I'd get these crazy, crazy intense panic attacks. And, um, that was when I was a kid. And then those went away a little bit in my early twenties. They came back a little bit when I started to become a mom and, you know, your panic all of a sudden starts to be focused on your kids. And then it went away again. Then it came back around the time of my divorce and then it went away again. Um, but since COVID, it feels like I've, it, it's, it's not daily, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. a couple times a week where I will, um, that dread will creep up. I will start to feel this pressure in my chest. My brain will start to feel dizzy and fuzzy. I'll start to sweat. I'll start to feel scared. I'll start to breathe heavy. Um, and you know, yeah, it's, you know, kind of like that melancholia. It's just like that, that force, I can feel that force and it's about to hit me really, really hard. And how I'm, you know, how do I cope with that? How do I breathe through it? I'm practicing breath control more than any time of my life right now. Um, Mm. Just to get through those episodes. I mean, I completely understand that. And after COVID, I had, there were a couple, a few days after I recovered from COVID where I was, I, I had depression um, in that I, I was so sad about the experience that I went through in COVID. And so I, I, I felt like just, it felt like a kind of a giving up feeling. Like, I just thought like, what is the point? What is the point of trying to live? What is the point of trying to fight my way through this? You know, if, if diseases are just going to take control of the world and politics are going to plan the measures of how we handle public health, like what's the point of it all? And I stayed in my room for like three days. I would just not leave. And this was after, this was all after COVID. I I was afraid to leave my room. Um, We have to acknowledge it. I think the more that we're able to openly acknowledge these things, the more I, I, I hope we're also to, able to share in those experiences because I think quite often we feel like we're the only, you know, it's like, Oh, it's what I'm dealing with is what the only, it's just me. It's just me and my feelings, but it's not, it's, it's all of us. And if we can find a way to be more open and vocal about mental health struggles or issues, um, the more I think we're all able to see that, Oh, you know what? So-and-so feels very, very much in line with how I'm feeling, or I've experienced the same things. Uh, You know, one of the Mm -hmm. biggest helps for me during COVID was when I uh, uh, became connected to a support group, uh, COVID support group on Facebook. They've become pretty well known on the news channels by the founder of the support group. It now has over 100,000 people on on this group on Facebook, but it's all COVID survivors or uh, families of people who have passed away from COVID. And 
you hear these stories, these posts, thousands a day, posts from families all over the world who are talking about the loved ones that they just lost or, or someone who survived COVID and had a panic attack that day or was depressed that day. And, and then you get within that thread of the comments, other people that are saying, yes, I felt the same way you know, vitamin C helped me or, you know, like just take, mm -hmm. take a walk, take a deep breath. You know, do you have someone nearby? Do you have someone to, everyone, everyone rallies to try and support those people. And, and that's been a huge, that was a huge bump for me to, to, to get out, to help try to dig my way out of, of some of those initials, um, depressions or anxieties that I was feeling after COVID. Um, that collective shared experience and being able to talk to other people. It's if we can't gather, we have to find a way virtually like this or other forms to be able to connect with mm. each other. We have to connect. We are a social animal. We must connect with each other during these times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I had those exact same feelings. I actually had them just recently where I was just like, and the numbers that just keep going up. I miss like my career, yes. <laughs> like, um, can like, you know, and very selfishly, like, I don't actually believe this, but like, about at the time I was like, you know what, what if we just lift the mandates? Like, just because like, nobody right. gives a shit. It feels like nobody cares. The numbers are going skyrocketing and it's just, yeah. it's just depressing. Like nobody, it feels like nobody cares yeah. at all. And I'm just like, you know what, like, let's just do it. Let's just, you know, but I feel like that's also just giving in. <laughs> like just, we're, all right, we're just giving up. We, we tried helping everybody out, but it, it just didn't work out. And I feel like the, with the election and everything going on, that's like, that's kind of like what we're fighting for. We're fighting, like it says like uh, for our lives yeah. <laughs> or something like that. I think that's what Biden's uh, slogan is, the fight to save America or something like that. And it's like, it, it feels does. like it. I think more than, more than any election I can, I can ever remember, um, certainly more than any election I've voted in and you know i've only voted you know let's see this will be my fourth my first the first person i voted for was carrie uh and then and then obama and then hillary and now joe mm -hmm. um so uh yeah this is this this is it this is incredibly important but it's also i mean we yeah, I have the same feelings as well, where it's like, you know, no, who's who's actually following these guidelines? Who actually cares? I've gotten in verbal arguments. I have been that, thank goodness there's no, no one who took a, you know, a video of me. <laughs> but I've gotten mm -hmm. into verbal altercations with two women in two different occurrences, one at a grocery store and one at the airport. Uh, both, you know, anti-maskers and, and my anger was, my anger wasn't so much just like, ah, just follow the mandate. But I'm looking at these people and thinking, are you willing to risk your husband's life? Are you willing to risk your best friend's life? These are the mm -hmm. people you are putting at risk, that you are actually impacting their risk of life by you you not wearing a mask. You know, there there was this, I think it was a Stanford study that came out this morning uh, or yesterday that said 
uh, based off of contact tracing, there were something like 700 deaths linked to Trump's rallies. You know, not mm-hmm. necessarily 700 people that actually went to his rallies, but you know, through contact tracing, you know, went was in contact with someone who went to his rallies and then died because that person made an irresponsible choice. And is it worth it? Is that what it is? Is it worth it? Um, mm-hmm. It's not. I don't believe it is. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I would hit, you know, as soon as I found out that I had symptoms, I did not leave my house for the entire month of July because the thought of getting anyone remotely sick or to even, you know, and I'm a mild case, but I thought I was going to die. My children were praying next to my bed, watching me, you know, with a 104.6 temperature, violently throwing up on the side of the bed, unsure if I was going to gain control of my body. My kids were praying for me and I would not wish that upon anybody. Um, But that's what we're risking. Anytime someone goes out without a mask, um, or just absolutely opposes uh, public health safety measures like mask wearing. Um, they are they're they're putting people at risk of death, and and it's, there's been too many. It, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. devastating. Yeah, it is. Like when the, the, we'll get back to your mom, I promise. But like the the news of you getting COVID and. You know, hearing it from your dad, that uh, Facebook post, uh, the public Facebook post, I was like, I was like devastated for you. I th- I, th- I initially thought you died, like actually <laughs> died <laughs> uh, the, from the first part. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is like the first like I think you're still like the only like person who contracted COVID that's really close to me. Or at least, you know, that I give a shit about. <laughs> um, so, like, when the news of that, like, hit, I was like, oh, my God. And, like, not at that moment where I was didn't think, like, any of this is real. We'll get back to that uh, assumption a little bit in, in just a second. But um, I think, like, when you got it, I was like, this is real. This is real, real. Like, this is, like, it is a thing like this isn't something that i'm just hearing on the news i'm just seeing numbers and just being like okay Mm -hmm. there's a lot of death here it's not impacting me too much but like you are like a face to it and that's when i was like oh shoot now i feel like i gotta double down on this now every time i think i even had any exposure to covid and it's hard to tell um usually when a patient calls they'll say like oh like 10 days ago um uh, I came to your office and now I'm calling you because I'm positive for COVID. And then like, we're, we're just pretty much made aware of that. And then we, we just kind of, I just tell my friends or whatever plans I have, like, Hey, I can't, I can't meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't know, you know, um, my mom's partner. Yeah, exactly. My mom's partner like had a cold and like he was sneezing and that's not one of the symptoms of COVID, at least not the ones yeah. that we read out to patients. And, uh even then I was like, Hey, uh, I told my friend, like my mom's partner is mm-hmm. as a cold Like, And do you feel comfortable? Like, do you feel comfortable hanging out? Cause he doesn't have any of the other COVID symptoms, but right. you know, who knows, you know, I have to yeah. like do that now. And 
like early like uh, and going back to like when i didn't think this was going to be a big deal <laughs> was in february like because i remember swine flu i was a kid when swine, swine flu happened and i was living in saudi arabia so maybe they handled it better like i don't know how america handled swine flu but i remember i remember even then being like you know this is gonna go away i mean like we have sanitation stations they're not doing anything extreme right now so i thought this was just gonna be like swine flu or something crazy like that and yeah I think it became real <laughs> when they told us to lock down. I was like, oh, shoot, this is, uh, I was, this is serious now. I was this is... following what was happening in Wuhan, like, at the end of January. Twitter, for me, and I had to get off of Twitter for other reasons, but I, I do love Twitter for the purpose of uh, uh, really, not for the most part, but but in terms of, you know, content coming from around the world, news, you know, breaking news that you're not going to get, that, that's, that's you know, uncensored in a way that it's, you know, um, politically driven, just really raw information from people experiencing what's happening. Um, some of those initial videos coming from the doctors and nurses in Wuhan and residents that were taking video footage of, of uh, their neighborhoods being locked down I was looking at that like at the end of January and uh, and really scared. I, I remember my mom and I were talking about it because um, my mom was, uh, she decided that, you know, she's going to live her best life and rent a house in Kauai for the month of January. So I celebrated New Year's mm -hmm. with my mom in Hawaii, you know, and we're all just at, fantastic experience staying with my mom uh, at her rental in Kauai with my kids and, uh, you know, having some champagne on the beach and toasting 2020. Uh, but then that's when my mom and I started talking about, you know, this pneumonia out of Wuhan. And mm -hmm. uh, I started following it over those few weeks. And uh, the more that was coming out about it, the more I thought, oh my God, this this looks absolutely terrifying. Um, I brought it up to Dan, my boyfriend over at Nito. He was bartending at the time. We ended up actually getting into an argument about it. And I walked out of the bar. It's one of the, these arguments that we go back to and kind of laugh, uh, laugh about. But mm -hmm. we got into an argument about it because I was like, why aren't you treating this seriously? These, there's mass graves. They're, they're locked. You know, they're, they're having to quarantine entire apartment buildings. You know, this is a serious issue and it's not happening here. So why are you stressing me out about it? I'm like, but it will be here. You know, I was, I was so freaked out and this was, this was, yeah, at, mm -hmm. around the beginning of February. Um, and, uh, and then, and then it, and then it got here and uh, it's been surreal ever since. Yeah. It was definitely, it's, it was very interesting. And I feel like, I, I guess my position on it was just really from a place of ignorance. I guess our also, maybe it was because my experience, <laughs> like right. with a different deadly virus from a different country was like, maybe it was handled better in Saudi Arabia. I don't know. What, like real quick, swine what was Swine flu? Like, was, you know, uh, I, that circulated through, um, through the United States. Millions and millions and millions of people got it. Um, uh, a number of people died. I think there was, 
under 20,000, I think, that died within the year from swine flu. Um, and uh, I mean, it was, I remember when, when it was released that it was that, that or when there was an announcement that, that swine flu was here, I think is what Obama said. Um, we, uh, there was an exercise of vigilance on washing your hands. There was no, um, no one was wearing masks. It was just really about washing your hands uh, and in uh, getting your flu shots. But I don't remember having it or going through it in a serious way. There was one friend of mine who said that they experienced it and that it was really, really bad, a really horrible illness, uh, but they don't have any mm -hmm. like, you know, lasting symptoms or, or um, uh, any other like longer lasting conditions, physical conditions that have been associated with, you know, the experience or impact of, of swine flu on their body. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, if you get a chance, you should watch the Amazon prime documentary totally under control. It was just released recently and it, and it tracks COVID from the time of its arrival in the U S to the day before Trump was diagnosed with COVID, but it very, very um, specifically and so simply in a way for us to process uh, maps out exactly date by date what happened and where we fell dramatically short in our response uh, and how it quickly became this polarizing political issue rather than a public health issue and the lives that those choices mm -hmm. have cost us since. Um, it's it's a really wonderfully done documentary. I think actually John Oliver used parts of it uh, during his last segment this past Sunday. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. I'll have to look into that. That'd be really interesting to <clears throat> just kind of figure out like what happened <laughs> because um, it was, like I said, like I, I reminisce about the first two weeks of pandemic and being like, oh, you know, maybe we're in this for a month, maybe two maybe like a week or two, even like if we're lucky, like I thought, oh yeah, this is, uh, this is going to be okay. I don't know where my thought process went, where it was just like, uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, when yeah. the heart monitor goes beep, like, you know, just a fl flat line. Right. I don't know where it well, flatlined. <laughs> I don't remember where it, it was so hard to imagine at that time when people would say, you know, um, expect to be social distancing, you know, until the end of the new, until the end of the year and thinking, oh my gosh, so we're going to be doing this until November. We're going to be doing this until December. We're not going to, we're not going to be able to have our lives back until 2021. Now, now realize that, that, you know, the, the best doctors in the world are saying that it's not going to, we're not going to actually start to see our lives maybe come back to a state of normalcy uh, until 2022, 2023. I mean, we'll be wearing these masks for, we'll be asked to wear these masks for a while to come. And the social distancing will continue until, you know, un until we can see a dramatic shift in cases. But it's, uh, 
yeah, the stark reality is, is that we're in this for a while longer. Mm -hmm. It's definitely going to be weird, like being able to go quote unquote back to normal and like, um, see people and just be like, yeah, it's funny because whenever I like take off my mask to like eat and someone comes in the room, it feels like, um, because Saudi Arabia has segregation <laughs> and it feels like walking in on a, a woman uncovered and just having to avert my eyes. So I feel like I have to like avert myself so I, I don't give you my COVID, you know, or like my, <laughs> my disease. And it's definitely going to be weird to like, just be like, yeah, we don't have to wear a mask anymore. Isn't that so weird that like the, I don't know, just like fantasizing about it. It's, it's just like, yeah. So I mean, I'm going to be but, directing this Antigone and, uh, I have to, I'm trying to block it with the six feet distance between actors at any given moment. You know, I'm trying to, how do you do that when, you know, Heyman, you know, runs in to embrace Antigone and kiss her? Like, okay, so that's a beautiful stage picture that I can't do. Um, you know, uh, Creon uh, grabs Antigone by the arm and, and um, pulls her down to the ground, you know, I can't, we can't really do that right now. I, how how are we gonna create these stage pictures and um, the impact of the storytelling through this, uh, during this new normal? Um, um, it's gonna be an experiment for me as a director to try and figure figure out how do, how do I bring my art back during a COVID, a COVID world? Exactly. And just going back to your mom, um, do you feel like you get a lot of your fighting spirit from her? At least that's kind of like the vibe. Uh, from yeah, you. I do. I've always, um, I've always been raised. My mom raised me to have a very, very strong identity with my native culture. I, I you know, being, you know, half Nez Perce, half Irish, I didn't know a lot about at all really of my Irish side until I was really in my twenties that I started to ask about that part of my family. Um, I always just knew I was just Irish, Irish American. And I didn't need to know anything more, but ancestrally I knew so much more about my native side and um, particularly native women in my family and, uh, and the journey that they've taken to, to survive. You know, my great, great grandmother was pregnant with my great grandmother and she was traveling alone through the mountains outside of Kamii and she was heavily pregnant. She went into labor while she was on her horse and she got down off of her horse and she went down to the river to birth her baby, who was her, her daughter, my grand, my great grandmother. Um, my great grandmother, you know, went to the native boarding schools, uh, Haskell, uh, uh, um, Haskell Indian School. Um, you know, my 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 grandmother, uh, you know, was a nurse in World War II. You know, it's my mom, uh, you know, was a child of poverty and and neglect, and and she became this woman who who is an award-winning businesswoman in uh, public health, particularly native health care. And I've always been raised to believe that, you know, women can do it on their own, that, that we have the fighting power to do mm. what we want to do by ourselves, that we don't need someone to do it. 
And um, so I've always been, I guess I've always kind of lived that way a little bit too. <laughs> and uh, I've been very much inspired mm -hmm. by the type of woman my mom is. I've always wanted to be that way. I, I think I'm, I, I might be a little more <laughs> emotionally, like kind of, um, kind of hard on my sleeve a little bit more. My mom, you know, because of her childhood trauma, um, she's a very protected and guarded woman. It's made it also harder for me to, um, she only, she, I mean, I, I know a few stories about my mom. I wouldn't say I know everything about my mom. Mm. That's, you know, because she keeps much of that to herself. And um, so she's only shared with me stories of her life um, that she wants to share. Um, and that's, I think those protective factors um, she holds on to very dearly. I wish I had more protective factors. I think I give away some of myself a little too freely maybe. And that's why I've gravitated towards the arts. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that would be our only difference there is I wish I could, I wish I could muster that kind of armor. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's just empaths. Like I've, that's cause that's me too. I I'll, I'll probably cry <laughs> if I have something to say. Like if I'm yelling at somebody or like, you know, just talking in yeah. general, I'll just like cry. <laughs> and like, but like, it's always a stigma for guys though to like not do it. And so I always try to hold back. Uh, nowadays, I don't really try to do that too much. Um, but yeah, I don't really like getting into arguments because I either get into a fit of rage when I get angry, like really angry at something yeah. or yeah. I will cry. <laughs> Absolutely. That's myself too. It's uh, it was actually going through counseling and therapy that I started to try and understand uh, my emotional power and uh, recognizing that I'm angry a lot. And that's, I remember my therapist said like, Josephine, you need to, I think, you know, acknowledge, try to acknowledge uh, where that anger is coming from. Um, acknowledge that you are angry often and you don't, you don't always express that you're angry in the moments that you're angry and you let that bottle up into, you know, to the point where, you, to, the, to the rage part, you know, something sets you off and you rage. And um, that's been my journey the last few years has been, has been acknowledging that when I feel it instead of pushing it back or pushing it away um, is to acknowledge, acknowledge it mm -hmm. in its moment and it's in its raw, scariest form. Um, Cause I often, I often will avoid it until the last possible m moment. I try to do that too. Um, yeah. Especially with crying. Uh, anger is something I have an issue with mostly because uh, I come from a, like a country that's very masculine. And so I fight, I, f I fought a lot and uh, like school and uh, let me uh, like just in general, like just anger of, and a lot of it mm -hmm. comes from things not being resolved, you know, um, or not being able to talk about things like my parents' divorce exam, for example, is a big, it's a big thing that I haven't talked to a lot of people about upfront yeah. uh, about what happened to me during there. Um, so I, I do like, I don't need to make a Facebook post about like, <laughs> or like a podcast to like talk about like all the, the mm -hmm. trauma that I went through through that. Like if someone were to ask nowadays, like I'd be, you know, more than glad to talk about it. Um, but a lot of anger ca came from yeah. like just unresolved issues. And I feel like uh, even now as an adult, when something's still like unresolved, 
like I'll still like I'll ca- I'll catch myself being like angry. I've not like um I've and I don't like going there. It's almost like a split personality for me. Like I don't like uh being yeah. like that angry. You know, I, I like I allow myself to be upset like today Best Buy uh canceled my uh OLED TV pr- pr- like <laughs> order after they screwed me over. You know, I <laughs> I was very angry about that. <laughs> and I did kind of go Karen mode on like the customer service uh, people because they did screw me. But um, like other things, like, you know, I think when it was when yeah. my dog, Charlie, my puppy, like ate my laptop cord, I got really angry at him. And it was like when I snapped out of it, I was like, man, that was unfair. That was not a good thing to be. Like I was just like yelling at him. Uh, because that was an expensive laptop charger yeah. and I didn't have any money to <laughs> like at the time pay for it. But, um, you know, I, I'm trying to control that into something uh, useful. And I think ta- going back to depression and everything and being sad, like it's, it's been one of the ch- most challenging things to like transform all the sadness that I'm feeling right now into something because like I, it, it was yeah. so like I thought I figured it out last year. I thought I figured it out even the year before. Like I figured out how to uh, channel whatever I'm feeling and just being like, okay, I have like all these other things that I need to be yeah. available emotionally for, like theater and going out, um, going to see a movie, or you know, I used to walk a, a lot. I used to walk to downtown, be like a, mm-hmm. you know, bum around downtown <laughs> and uh, like uh, up north too of Spokane. And I can't really do that now. So everything is kind of bottled up literally and like uh, figuratively speaking, literally because like I'm in my room, like that's where I like spend my time. And I've invested a lot of money into like making my room into this place mm-hmm. where I can like relax because i never like my room was just the place to go to sleep because with theater and school specifically i was still in school a lot of my time you know um like gonzaga stuff usually just went on till 11 p.m and i'd be home at 11 and i'd have to go to school at like eight you know and now it's like i don't know i don't know what to do with all this all these feelings anymore it's and I want to try new things, but some days I'm just like, I don't want to. Yeah, no, it's, uh, we have to, I had this yoga teacher in undergrad who, um, who asked each of us, you know, we had our kind of closing um uh, end of day class routine. And, and then, you know, he had a, you know, just private discussion with, with each student about um, what they learned over the course of taking a full year of this very traditional form of yoga. And um, uh, Gabriel, his name was Gabriel, him and I sat down and talked and, and he said, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was 18 at the time, you know, so I was like, well, I see myself acting uh, in New York City and I see myself, uh, you know, doing very well and I'm kind of going on. And he says, okay, what if that doesn't happen? I was like, Mm -hmm. "Uh, well, no, I mean, that's my goal. That's going to happen. No, but what if, what if life happens and that doesn't happen? And he said, I, you know, I want mm-hmm. you to always challenge yourself to imagine 
something opposite from where you think you'll be in the next five years. You know, just check in with yourself and change that mindset uh, because mm-hmm. life happens. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the most life-changing moments for me since then, I, I try to reflect on that philosophy. I try to reflect on that question. Where do I see myself in five years? Well, what if that doesn't happen? Um, and find peace in that. Try not to, to try mm-hmm. not to be, you know, I think setting our goals, you know, I want to get out of this town or I want to, you know, book that job or I want to, you know, excel in this part of my career. Okay, but you know what? Sometimes life happens and it's going to set us back maybe a year. Maybe it'll set us back a couple of years. Um, and as upsetting and or as depressing or anxiety ridden as that experience could be or feels like certainly right now it i think you know we have to challenge ourselves to to find to find our peace i think that for me that seems to be really one of the only things that is really helping me get through this and it's not always you know i i definitely have days of where i'm challenged but um God damn, I have to imagine it's going to get better. Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I really don't like those questions. The Where are you at in five years? I think Leslie or Kathleen or whoever asked us that, like in our careers. And I think at the time I was super depressed. So I was like, I don't know. I don't even know if I'm going to be alive <laughs> in five years. Like, you know, like I think most people, that's a lot of people's answers, but like more of a, like, I don't think... I've never imagined myself to live past like 20 when I was a teenager. Um, So like five years I would have been in my thirties and I'm just like, I don't even know if I want to be alive in my (laughs) thirties, like having that mindset. But, you know, um, I think once I realized with Doxy's God, like how much of an impact that show was and realizing like with my theater troupe, what we've been able to do and stuff like that, I think, taking everything one day at a time and just like um, do the stuff that I want to do now. Like kind of like, that's kind of like what Anne Bogart preaches a lot in her work. Um, And that's kind of what I like have to do. I mean, right now with COVID and everything, I think right now I'm just like, I don't even know when I'll apply for my master's. Like there is no chance in hell that I'm doing online class. Like I had one Zoom like webinar for MFAs, the DePaul, CalArts and Juilliard were a part of that. And it was like a two hour session. And I was like, God damn it. This is what people have to go through like six hours, like 12 hours a day. And it's like, no way, no chance in hell. Yeah. Like, and especially like yeah. uh, paying full price. I'm just like, I feel like our art is so physical. And so you have to be there. And like, it's a lot of, like, at least for me anyway, it's like reading the room and reading what I'm feeling in this moment. I can't do that with a screen. Like, I can't do that. Like, I can probably like do that for movies because they're edited and like they use the medium. And I feel like where Zoom plays fail is that it doesn't really utilize the medium. I feel like in most part, it they're trying to do a play for, for the camera which like, I'm sure, you know, like you can't like do theater for a camera. Like that's two different acting methods. You know, it's just, 
it, it feels like bad acting. <laughs> yeah. So like, I just can't like invest myself into it because my movie brain keeps turning on. But um, so that's why like, it, that's why it's so inspiring, especially with your mom, like what she's going through and the cancer and, you know, like not really knowing for sure yeah. if you'll get to see tomorrow, you know, like you have to do everything that you want to do now. And, you know, for most people that's hard, like, what would you kind of say to that? Like, what if they have big dreams and they're not oh, able to achieve that? I mean, that's, 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 that's a, uh, a choice. I, I would hope no one has to go through. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, when I look at my mom and I see, I see her fighting to live because she still has dreams. She still has things she wants to do. Um, I also see her, I also see her practicing letting that go. Um, and this might be a really kind of sad answer is, I mean, we, we have to live for tomorrow, um, fight for tomorrow, live for today. We have to you have to always do that. Um, but we, we don't, we don't ultimately have control over what happens tomorrow. And that process of letting go of that control, I, I think is one of the scariest parts, certainly scary for me. I think that's an anxiety triggering thought, uh, is letting go. Um, so I would challenge someone who feels like they, they aren't going to accomplish those dreams. Um, I would challenge them to practice letting go and being thankful and grateful for today. And my mom doesn't know if, you know, what, how many tomorrows she has, she's fighting for all of them, but I see her also practicing and preparing for not, you know, having tomorrow and, I mean, what a brave thing to do. I, we, we don't all do that. Um, but what a, you know, what a brave thing to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely like, it is one of the bravest things to do. Like, because you're kind of not given a choice. <laughs> like, it, this is a thing, like, you know, not having those tomorrows. Like, when you don't have that tomorrow, like, you don't have it. It's gone. Like, it's it's very hard to like adjust yeah. your plans and adjust your future, uh, especially when you, when you plan everything down. That's why I tell people, like, I don't really plan anything. <laughs> like, that's why I kind of like directing sometimes because like, sometimes I'm not supposed to know everything about a show. Yeah. Cause you know, you don't know what's going to happen on stage. Like anything could happen on stage. And if I try to control every single thing that happens on stage, I'm just going to be sad because you know, that's perfectionist, perfectionism, well, yeah. I think. Yeah, or, it's, that's, uh, that's what makes theater um, and uh, the theater experience so magical is it's, um, it's transitory. It, it is in the moment and each night is not going to be the same. Um, you know, we do as much as we can to plan, mm -hmm. choreograph, block, direct, uh, design every component that will 
have the consistency of being the same, but the performances are always going to be uniquely theirs because it's a uniquely different shared experience with a completely different audience. And, um, and that living in the moment, I mean, that's, I mean, that's like, that's like a drug for me because I'm constantly fretting about tomorrow and I'm constantly, you know, sad about the past. I, I struggle with, with just being in the moment and I, my gravitation to theater and acting uh, initially and then, then into, you know, directing and producing, but it all, the heart of it was in my acting is that tremendously gratifying experience from living in the moment. I, I, I would love to practice that more in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I find it on the stage and maybe that's why I miss it so much. Mm -hmm. I crave it so much. Um, that just that raw state of being is so sacred to me. Um, we're we're kind of getting to time real quick before anchor kicks us off. Uh, it's about the two hour mark. Um, I want to ask you another question. I always ask my guests sometimes depending on the person that they're talking about. Um, pretend your mom's here right now, like listening to like what we're, what we're saying. Uh, I mean, she is here with us. Like I, she hasn't, uh, like passed or anything. Um, but, um, pretend she's listened to all this conversation. Like what's one thing you want to tell her? Mom, I, I am so grateful to be your daughter. I am so blessed and my babies, they have the most amazing grandmother who has taught them how to pick huckleberries and has taught them how to sew beads and has taught them how to count from one to five in Nez Perce. Their grandmother is so, is so strong and I love you. And I am thankful for you every day. And I'm in awe of you. And we're praying for you. And I love you. Thank you. I wish the best for her. Yeah. Hopefully she sees more tomorrows. Yeah. Like they're like forever and ever. Like not. Um, fuck Donald Trump, right? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this is Wayward Artists oh, in the World. Uh, I, Josephine, do you have any Everyone last words? stay safe. Um, that's not me snoring. That's actually my French bulldog, if you heard that, the snore. Yeah, so that was... Oh, she's, oh my goodness, that's <laughs> get, some, yeah. <laughs> get some rest like my French bulldog and uh, do tired. something uh, of self-care for yourself today. That You heard that, guys. Um, any day, because this episode will come out in February. So uh, always take care of yourself. Um, Guys, gals, and non-binary pals, without further ado, it's been real.